What up, what up, what up, and welcome to another episode of the Fortnite Podcast. Your host here, Monster DeFace, bringing you guys another one this week. 2023 has kicked off strong. We're leaning into the second week of the new year, and guess what? We got ourselves a nice, juicy episode this week talking about some big stuff, as you see in the title. That is right. The entire roadmap for FN competitive season has been announced, and we're going to be able to jump into a deep dive with our good friends, Life for Panda, and my boy Somebody's Gun. So with that, let's go ahead and kick it off as usual with Panda. What's up, brother? Hey, man. Doing good. Doing good. Love seeing this communication, but we'll dive into that in a little bit. But SBG, how you feeling, man? I'm good, guys. Nice to be back talking Fortnite, and we got a lot of competitive news to cover today. Heck yeah, a lot of changes, but more importantly, a lot of cool stuff coming on the horizon much earlier than we've ever seen in the timeline before. So we love to see, you know, good habits come out of Fortnite and the Epic Games team. Before we dive too deep into that stuff, though, of course, want to thank you guys, our listeners, for downloading this week's episode. Don't forget, while you're there, leave a little review. I think there's a way for you to comment on the episode. Maybe pick apart some of your favorite stuff as you continue to tune in with us. The episodes have been picking up by the thousands. So we appreciate you guys. Thanks for supporting us. We definitely love to see it. Anyways, let's go ahead and hop into the meat and potatoes of this whole thing. Uh, we want to talk about FN Competitive SVG as our professional usual guy that takes us to the tops of most of these docs at FN.GG. I'll give you a second to prepare that. I'm going to run through the tweet, the actual tweet that was pushed from Fortnite Competitive. They go and tweet out. 2023 is your year. A new, quote unquote, major structure is arriving. A $10 million total prize pool. And lastly, FNCS dates and an in-person land tournament in Copenhagen, Denmark for the FNCS Global Championship of 2023. More details in our blog. In the comments under this thing are insane i mean you even got cypher pk talking about he's about to make a return with nick 830 like he's ready to go to copenhagen for some of that good stuff but let's jump into it man let's talk about what this means for the competitive scene somebody's gonna yeah so let's talk high level real quick we got three majors essentially each major becomes increasingly more important which i kind of like as we get like that more and more build up as we get to the end of the year then we got this like one last chance three-day tournament for anyone to make it in and get to this global championship and we don't know the exact date of the global championship it says late 2023 i would expect based on when invitational was november time frame just like last year uh but it's awesome we have all the dates for our fncs's they're calling them fncs majors which is definitely a different change in the verbiage i don't know that really means too much or we could look way too far into it and say it's going to mean a, a ton and just all the dates, all the prizing, everything out there super early. It's January 11th. We're recording this, and we know when all the major tournaments are. And it's online leading into in-person, which is the biggest tournament of the year. And that is awesome to me. It is awesome, man. And there's a few little notes that maybe some people have missed, right? So one thing is we used to have finals. Epic was not keen on the word grand finals. Well, grand finals is back. So that verbiage is getting thrown around there in the blog post. On top of that, we we had a lot of discussion and the community was super excited about the in-person event at the end of the year, having a $4 million prize pool. But if you look at the overall season, and this is what people started to do after the fact, you realize that it's the same $10 million in prizing committed to la just like last year. So there's been some controversy. I see... Um, one big figure came out. It was actually the head of Galaxy Racer came out and challenged the narrative of why is a, a game like Dota, who doesn't get a billion dollars in revenue a year, putting together $50 million prizing versus FNCS and Fortnite putting $10 million in prizing. And they're obviously well exceeding uh, those numbers. So it was a good conversation. Obviously, all of us in this call, it's like, that's still the $10 million. We know it's way more than anybody else combined. And the conversation is how open it is and other things. And But Monster, what are your thoughts on all this? I mean, the first thing, just, just to kind of pick apart the argument from the CEO or whomever from Galaxy Racer was messaging that out. 
hello, we have cash cups and zero build and all types of other stuff being committed all throughout the year nonstop. So that's where my argument lies there. Hopefully someone in the comment section maybe brought up that discussion point. Who knows? Maybe the total prizing brought to the table is uh, far exceeds what Dota does. I don't know. I can't speak to it. But I know for a fact that Fortnite in particular has one of the most congested tournament calendars of any title we've ever seen. So there's no shy amount of competition to put, you know, partake in that's completely open to everyone, not built behind some kind of paywall or some league buying system. So I'm all for Fortnite, their $10 million and what's coming to the table. Initial takes, hot takes on the pricing distribution. I like it personally. I like that we are rewarding the land as a much more bigger prize not necessarily an incentive but yes something to play towards if you win and perform well in your majors you get that qualification opportunity to go straight to the major where you get to play for the real bucks that's a bigger headline than of course playing for smaller numbers right all throughout the year so i'm personally a huge fan of that i think it raises the stakes of the actual land event and you should be you should be feeling good, man, and walking away with a lot of bucks if you finish inside that top five. So I'm all for that at the land as far as being rewarded. Um, taking a look at the FNCS major, though, like, like kind of zooming out a little bit, I do want to read through some of the details here for those of you guys listening and maybe um, interested in maybe competing or watching along from home. This is coming up super quick, guys. The announcement is here, yeah, January 11th, but the first FNCS seems to kick off. February 2nd. That's the day after my birthday. So I'm going to go ahead and read this one right here. Yes, sir. Nice and early. Go ahead and read this one here. So Fetcher Duos prepare for the FNCS Major 1 to begin February 2nd. This FNCS Major will take over the Elite Divisional Cups for a total of five weeks during the Chapter 4 Season 1. Players who earn Elite Division in the Season will unlock participation to the first FNCS Major. And of course, the FNCS Weekly Sessions Major 1 scores will be combined across Wednesdays and Friday's FNCS Major Weekly Competition settings. So already we're seeing something completely different. Wednesdays and Fridays is like our competing days uh, because they're essentially removing the Elite Cup or yeah, the Elite Divisional Cups. They also widened the amount of participants that enter into that Elite Bracket, which is something we can probably talk about and maybe pull the actual tweet of the messaging as to maybe why they did that but anyways at the end of each ma major fncs one weekly major competition every duo that competed will be awarded series points based on their performance results from that week top 40 duos earned the highest cumulative points the series leaderboards will advance to the fncs major one grand final so that's how we're going to get to grand finals it's going to be weeks and weeks of competition competitions are not going to happen on the weekends I don't know how that's going to influence participation or viewership or how people are going to uh, like that yeah, well, it does look like there is going to be a major weekly final with the top 50 duos on each weekend. So I think it's literally the exact same divisional cup format where we have like quote unquote opens to everyone for, in a league. First two days. Yes. And then we have the like weekly final, just like we do right now. They're just going to call it FNCS now instead of elite. That makes a lot of sense. So that's how we're going to get to that weekend of competition before we start gearing up for the actual grand finals. Notes, they use the word grand finals. We spent years not using that terminology. We're seeing it pop up right now. So I don't know what that's all about. But hey, as a commentator, these are the things that soar, you know, you know, are sore pricks to my eyes because we are literally <laughs> trained not to say this stuff. I'll be um, shocked if they allow the terminology to come back into competition settings. Oh, actually, yeah, I think they are. FNCS Major 1 Grand Finals is all in headers, is in titles, so they're embracing it. They're, looks like we're, we're taking on the words. No longer will Fortnite fight against the word Grand Finals for terminology. Love that. <laughs> With that, anyways, $2 million prize pool. We'll see what the prize and distribution breaks down and, and what all that stuff looks like. But again, what's significant about the majors now, there is so much more on the line, right? Obviously, your performance matters for that big cash prize but most importantly you get that direct invite to what will be the global championship let's dive into that sbg there is something very unique about the global championship land that's going to happen we are looking at in surplus of players attending at the land playing for the chance to then fight for the four million dollars yeah it's interesting this is I can't remember a time where we've had more than just a lobby competing in like a, a land format. Granted, it's been a long time, 
besides the Invitational since we've had a LAN. But it looks like 75 duos and, you know, different people have put out the numbers. I think obviously the most is EU, NA East, Brazil, Asia, NA West, and then Middle East, OCE in that order. Um, 75 of the best duos compete for prizing. So it looks like day one and two are what they're going to call upper and lower bracket. So it looks like players in the upper bracket are going to have an additional chance. They're going to play day one, top 25 duos from day one in the upper bracket, advance, then the bottom 25 and the lower bracket duos combine and they play in the lower bracket. And then those top 25 advance to fill out our finals day lobby. And it looks like it's only a six game final, which is, is also different than we've ever done before. There's no two day format, only six games. I don't know how I feel about this yet. I'm like trying to think normally I'm like, Oh, ultimate purist, but I kind of like the single day format because we don't get this break in between that then like causes almost everything to feel like it's resetting. So I do like that. We'll see how it plays out in, uh, in practice. Yeah. Another interesting point to kind of add on to that. Obviously we don't know exactly what the global championship is going to look like. Right. But we do know that it is three full days of competition. And we do know that the last day is the six games like SVG mentioned. So the other two days are kind of up in the air and we won't get more information about that until closer to, but like this is for the Fortnite community to understand, this is probably our version of the Fortnite World Cup moving forward. This is the replacement, the full-fledged experience that we knew and loved from World Cup. Well, this is them replicating it to the best of their ability without spending $100 million in a year for competitive Fortnite. I'm personally, like, and this is just me, I think from a consumer perspective, from someone showing up for the weekend, that's, I'm all for it. You have an extra full day of land, basically. So it, to me, that's better than any two day. We get three days of land in person. And of course, watching these, uh, these teams start to participate and go to head to head. Uh, Panda, I mean, SBG, you had a little time to think about your perspective or, or your thoughts on a one day singular six game finals. I feel a little gimped. I'm not going to lie. One, eight, eight games. If we're going to do one day, I feel spoiled to the 12 format. Um, Six is cool, but more of a sample size, in my opinion, gets closer to who is the great, right? The greatest of the year. Um, I mean, I feel like I feel like I want eight games. I feel a little disappointed seeing six. I feel that. It's also, we are nerds that love Fortnite. So like the more Fortnite we get to watch, the better. I'm biased. The interesting thing. So like, this is all fresh, right? Announcement came out a few hours ago. Um, Will teams that get to play, like say you're in the upper bracket, you play day one, don't make it. You got to play day two. Are you at an advantage? Because then you've kind of learned how these lobbies play out versus teams that qualify to the grand finals first day and don't get to play. Like, I'm just kind of thinking through all this stuff. And obviously you want to play your best and can't like tank the first day in order to not miss out on games. But that also could be a very interesting strategy because we've seen people do that when you got auto quals in FNCS previously. I was going to say, we've literally seen people do that in the past where you're like, oh, yeah, why call this week? I'm good enough to call. I'm just going to go ahead and do very, very good and then not call. What Wasn't it Bucky? There was, a, there was a season where I'm pretty sure he just popped off and he was like, yeah, I'm not going to play my last two games. Like, I did what I had to do. Granted, that's a little bit of a, a different narrative and approach, but it just shows that dudes will either play their games to their fullest or, you know, not quite do it just so they can get a little, squeeze in a little more competition. I am very curious as to see seeing how that will, that will play out but i think history will probably tell us those that just did what they had to do went straight on through and performed at the top continued to be the best uh, leading into that weekend if i'm a participant and a player i'm not leaving it up for chance because of course there's a land that's that first day big impressions matter everyone's watching like there's still again everyone in the crowd i'm trying to qual out the gate and then go kick it with the fans day too that's just me though Right, and there's an advantage to calling day one because then you get to sit back, you get extra time to VOD review. You can even sit there and watch the team yeah. that could potentially be contesting you and like break them down before they even get a chance to like finish playing for the day. So like obviously there's going to be huge advantages to playing, but 
with how this game works, you always got to throw out the idea of some team doing something ridiculous, but might wind up playing in their favor. And so this is uh, this is being posted up so that participants will have to travel to Copenhagen. Copenhagen is just continuing to lead the esports industry as far as like becoming a hub for esports. It's it's very interesting dynamic that's going on over there because you have the government quite literally supporting and and pushing esports as far as you know embracing the culture that is gaming and we love to see that so this is very cool for those of you guys that don't know blast as an esports company is also of course housed and located in denmark so i think this all just starts to make sense for them yeah it does and from a business perspective while it's a little bit more challenging to get the epic employees over it's really easy to move production equipment from their studio in Copenhagen to wherever the set is going to be, whether it's, what is it? The Royal arena, I believe, uh, or one of those other bigger venues. Cause they have large venues that they use for esports currently, whether it's CSGO, like, I mean, they are again, massive, like monster mentioned into esports. So lots of potential there. And it's definitely going to be easy on that front. (laughs) The one thing I'm a little sad about is when that announcement went out this morning, Emily's hitting me up. And she's like, yay, we're flying to Copenhagen. And I'm like, man, now I got to think about like five, $6,000 to put together to fly to Copenhagen at the end of the year. But, you know, there's plenty of time to figure that out. And, and from the few times you were flown out, those are like business upgrade. We're a little small. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. If I'm paying for my own ticket, economy, babe. You know, we have to figure this out. Hey, man, it's expensive, dude. You know, they, they ruined my flight one time on a return trip. Fun story. The day of for them to replace it was close to like eight or nine thousand dollars. So Jeez. It, that was because someone made a clerical error on the uh, internal side. But uh, you know, ain't nobody trying to pay all that, man, to get out there and in hotels. So, but let's be honest, EU bigger, bigger community, bigger audience, more players for in sure. attendance. We could be expecting a much larger audience in attendance. I mean, the Raleigh. North Carolina event that just went down. That thing packed out. It filled out. And we had people flying, already proving that they were willing to travel. Do we think it's going to be a success hosting this in Copenhagen? Yes. Yeah. It's, um, that, is that because of the, the European, obviously the staggering amount of European attendees? As far as the professional players go, they do have the, uh, the bulk in attendance. Or do you just think, you know, EU, esports, it just makes sense? Go ahead, Panna. Yeah. So from my perspective, right? So I watch a lot of events that are hosted in Europe, right? Whether it's boxing events, anything, they go hard for their fans. So that community, when there is something in the area that they can support the players that they support, and we know that EU is the biggest region, they're going to show up. So I definitely think there's a lot of potential to pack out a larger arena. Now, obviously, every esports struggles to fill venues up fully, but I definitely see potential there. Yeah, I think the the combination of one being a Danish venue, like they already embrace esports, like that is part of their culture at this point. So the crowd within the country is going to be fairly significant. We've seen Copenhagen Flames, Astralis, both based out of Copenhagen, have Fortnite sections. I don't think they currently do. I believe Thomas was dropped from Astralis and Copenhagen Flames let go of their their own players, but they may rethink that now, right? Because you have a hometown tournament coming to your your doorstep, essentially, and just picking up one, two players that you know are going to make it there or believe can make it there after they make it, you sign them, and then you, you figure something out that way. But Just within Denmark, I think it'll do well. And obviously, we know that numbers-wise, competitive Fortnite is pretty much double any other region, players-wise, in Europe than it is in North America. So I just see this as a no-brainer. We haven't had a a European-based LAN in, I I don't know. Really? ever really besides DreamHack and Gamers 8 was the closest in Middle East. And I think that's something else that we can kind of tribute to what could be the success of this this land coming up i mean there's obviously a middle eastern community it's closer for australian fans to come on over and tune in i think hosting these kind of tournaments in europe makes sense although unfortunately it is extremely expensive for the american or the canadian or you know anyone inside the uh you know south american regions to attend because you have to travel all the way across i think it becomes more accessible across 
the board. So very, very interesting stuff going on there. And I guess we didn't break down the exact amount of participants before we like kind of let go of this topic and, and move on. But EU will have 26 participants for as far as contributing to the total of 75 duos that are going to be in attendance. NA East will have 15, NA West at 8, BR at 8, which is Brazil, Asia at 8, Oceania, Australia at 5, and Middle East at 5. That will round out all of the invitees and participants that get to qualify from the three FNCS majors and the last chance opportunity. Hopefully we get those dates sooner rather than later. We'll love to book a nice cheap flight in advance. Tell you that right now. And I'm sure some <laughs> of you guys might as well. Jumping into some other stuff that's developing. I think right now we just came in hot with a fun little story about that same esports team we talked about last week that was doing a... I don't want to say unethical things, but they're out here enforcing <laughs> contracts pretty aggressively instead of biting the bullet where they could have avoided maybe some conflict. Uh, Panda, talk to me about what's going on here. What's up? Yeah, Aurelia Esports has hit the news yet again for not playing another paying another player and that player being Playify. He's a bigger pro in the NA scene, uh, most recently competing with Muzz in the last FNCS before the Invitational. So very interesting to see that they continue not to pay people and then they hide behind the you didn't fulfill the th terms of your contract and there's some argument back and forth that he had covid so he couldn't stream or compete and and they're trying to hold him to his contract with when he had covid like there's just wild stuff honestly i'm not surprised but man this is why we see orgs like become legends which i know we're going to talk about here in a second leaving Fortnite, and we see Fortnite not wanting to support orgs because of crazy stuff like this. Yeah, let's just move on. I don't think we need to cover this anymore, and I don't want to give them any more free advertising, regardless of <laughs> if it's good or bad. I agree um, with you. That's why I don't say their name almost ever. I didn't tweet about it. You know, some <laughs> people just don't deserve the time of day. So do you guys want to dive into to BL leaving? The greatest Fortnite organization, the golden standard in competitive Fortnite orgs, has left Fortnite. And that, although it's not surprising, like, I don't think anyone was shocked, but it's also a little scary from just an outsider. Like, none of us are working with orgs. Maybe we are for, like, projects, but none of us are organizations. So it's weird and scary to see what has been the best Fortnite organization over the past couple of years do it in what seemed like all the right ways, basically just say, we're hanging it up. We don't see longevity here. We've tried to work with Epic. They don't care to work with us. And, you know, after trying as hard as we can, we're going to decide to go a different direction. Yeah, and man, this this makes me feel... I mean, I'm very indifferent about this decision. Part of me as, as a business owner, as someone who has, you know, put a fair share of investment into projects and, and things like that, I mean, it does not feel good to lose money. It doesn't feel good when you, you know, take a stab at a project. It doesn't quite go where you want it to. Or, or maybe you do reach the levels of success you're looking for, but it becomes more stressful, more strenuous than what it might feel worth. And unfortunately, right now for Fortnite orgs in particular, um, I, I can only imagine that for Reno... He has felt like, hey, man, I put my heart and soul into this to do and create this brand to be exactly what I you know, envisioned it to be and become. And the payout just wasn't quite there. Or like you said, the dev team maybe just isn't quite willing to work in the ways that they would hope that they would work in. And think about it. This, this is years of commitment that he's put into this. With that being said, I do believe Man, becoming legends, dude, if they were able to do it in Fortnite, you could literally, they could do it anywhere. They've proven they could mm. find great talent, and most importantly, they could they could sell great content, right? Really get the user invested because the, the storytelling, the vlogs, the buildup of different players and, and making them become not only, like, bigger than the brand, but really a part of the brand is something special. A lot of teams haven't quite figured out how to do that. Well, and the one thing they did really well is they made their brand a lifestyle brand. Now, it's a competitive lifestyle brand, which is something that I think only 100 Thieves team-wise has really been able to do in a, in a successful way. Become Legends, unfortunately, just couldn't get sponsorships, which is something that we're seeing 
not just in Fortnite, but it is primarily in Fortnite right now, but in esports in general because of this quote unquote esports recession that we're going through, as a lot of people are putting. Um, but that's a whole nother topic. But Become Legends did a really good job of branding themselves well when they did the arm sleeves. We saw so many other people step up to the plate. SAF start selling arm sleeves, other companies, other orgs trying to do the same thing because they were pioneers in some of this stuff. Now, obviously, arm sleeves had existed everywhere, but in the Fortnite space, it was not something that was heavily done. And so Become Legends was quick to pick that up. They're quick to pick up on the clothing, doing the clothing right. They had a whole clothing team. Like they understood where the money was and it's in products and products and content. And they did both extremely, extremely well. And the thing that scares me the most about them leaving is the value they provided to the scene as far as getting to know the players as people and not simply just a character in a video game. The boot camps they did, the IRL content, all of that. Like Reno has been such like a, a great innovator in the space for the product side, but also allowing the storytelling of players has been phenomenal. And now that that's missing, we are now missing a big piece within Fortnite because it wasn't just become legends players. He'd invite out all the best pros in Europe to come to their boot camp to play together. And I just don't see anyone stepping up unless the players are going to host it themselves. And I mean, we, we are seeing something similar. There's like a scuffed boot camp from Jamper and Paper, which is awesome. And we could talk to talk to that a little later. But I'm scared that we're not going to have those real person storylines and videos to learn about the players now that Become Legends is walking away. Yeah, man, I, I would love if we could just get a Fortnite representative to speak on it. What do they think? What? do they believe is happening to their org space do or you know have they developed some level of concern for competitive fortnite in particular from their lens this situation that's unfolding right now the rapid dismissal disappearance exits of orgs is an issue not only in fortnite this is happening in other games as well even some of the riot titles even some of the call of duty titles like People are backing out, organizations in particular. There is a large amount of money invested, very little diminishing returns in some areas, regardless of how big the brand has gotten. I think we're going to start reaching, I think, no, not start. I, I believe we've already reached a boiling point for all the orgs, 100 Thieves, and everyone else, you know, phase and, and, and down, that, that will start requiring developers to literally pay orgs to participate and compete in their games there's value there if you make hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars what's a couple million to a few organizations to keep them afloat and make sure they're that marketing driver in your corner because that's what that's what they are that's what they not that, not that you're even paying for but they're literally the market driver. We wouldn't know who Cammy and Seti are. You know what I mean? If it wasn't like really know who they are, the person, the kid, competitor behind the keyboard and mouse, if it wasn't for those vlogs and stuff. And again, that was done because BL decided to take on that responsibility. At least as we know it. Who knows? Maybe there was some shadow payment from Epic, but I don't believe there ever was. Mm. <laughs> just saying, <laughs> I want to just throw that theory out there. You never know. Look, I think there is a future where we see Fortnite become more involved in orgs. I do not think it's to the extent that everyone is hoping for. We have to remember, again, Fortnite is probably the most played game in the world, if not factually is the most played game in the world. When you compare it to these other titles, these other titles need their esports section to be a profitable game. Fortnite does not. It's very, very different. And I think... That's probably the biggest factor as to why Fortnite has never stopped, like stepped into like supporting organizations in esports and things like that. However, it would be nice to hear. We did hear from them back in 2018 where they were like, hey, listen, clearly we're not going to invest in orgs. Like this is not going to be something that we do. But, you know, look, it's been four years now. Maybe it's time to say again, like either, hey, we're not going to do this or we have had a change of heart and we consider doing this in the next few years. But but we've seen them dabble. We've seen them create the 100 Thieves compounding game. We've seen them do the yeah. phase clan search and destroy in-game event. Like they've they've proven or shown that there's some people within their 
team that is more or less interested in supporting organizations, it clearly just isn't the guy at the you know tippity top or the men and women that sit at the elite table that make all the decisions about that kind of stuff. And and you know that again, that's just one of the one of my concerns. Like I said before. But more so, one of my curiosities. I, I am so curious to really, really know uh, what they believe is going to happen to the competitive space with, again, the, just the exit of or the organizations. Yes, there's more space for other teams to step up, but we've seen there's a lot of poor players in the game, the people that don't know what they're doing and causing more issues than they are uplifting the scene. A lot of the other organizations that had some positive footprints have all turned crypto and gone an entire different direction so there's just clearly some very much self-interest you know self-motivated folk out there that just want to fill their pockets and you know esports clearly is is not one of the places to do that from an organization perspective well and do we think that this is now going to have a major effect on player development within fortnite because if these pros aren't getting paid to play the game and their only winnings are coming from like what they can bring to themselves, whether that be sponsors, you know, YouTube revenue, streams, or uh, in-game winnings. It is a lot different when you have to worry about all that versus, okay, I'm getting a paycheck for playing the game, being a competitor, and now I don't necessarily have to worry about all these other things. I just, I'll do them with the help of an organization, but that all kind of now is at the forefront as opposed to being the best player that I can be. Do you guys think that winds up hurting the scene in the long term if we continue to lose more and more orgs and pretty much salaries for players is kind of the big concern. To me, it does feel like a domino effect. I mean, absolutely. I mean, all the way, again, up to the talent chain too, right? Less players, less participants, less scrims, much less reason for blue chip brands to jump in and sponsor and host tournaments to support the ecosystem fortnite just has this domino effect issue happening right now it maybe maybe it began with the sponsors because even the sponsors have a difficult time you know navigating the space because of all the particulars that are involved in the guidelines as far as um what you can do here fortnite does not support the wagering space players love to wager put up a couple dollars and go head to head not that i think that's something that you know, should, you know, 50 euros should be doing, but there are clearly, you know, uh, businesses that thrive in these markets in esports in particular that do it across all the other competitive titles. It's just, you know, certain norms. And when that money's coming in, there's more events, there's more reasons for people to play player base on the competitive level, either sustains itself or grows. We haven't seen Fortnite's player base really make a huge jump besides finally when they drop a really good season there's a direct correlation between a great update and an exciting new chapter and of course more players playing the game but besides that we haven't seen much other reason for the growth of esports and part of that has to do like when's the last quote-unquote benji fishy mongrel level influencer entity clicks right kind of level of influencer we've seen come out of the game uh, like you said, Panda, it is one of the most played games in the world with a continuing, growing, casual player base, but they're not converting into fans of the product or the, the creators behind this game. Yeah, and I think it's going to continue to be an issue. And I think um, a big part of the, that issue is partially what you touched on, is there's no people within the space that are finding success as a pro player, but also creating high-level content that's exciting a large audience. I mean, even from a YouTube content perspective, we, we talked about this recently. YouTube content is at a pretty low point as far as competitive Fortnite goes. If you look at what videos are successful in Fortnite, it really isn't the comp videos. I mean, Resub, for example, probably one of the best, if not the best creator in the Fortnite space right now, or comp Fortnite space right now, his videos were like like just beautifully executed great thumbnails, everything made sense, but it would only capture about 20 to 30,000 viewers. When he's had videos in the past, like six months, a year ago, two years ago, that are exceeding 100,000, a million. So there's definitely a disconnect, right? I think when you don't have all the Benji Fishy, Nick Merckx, Savage, everybody making comp content, 
it becomes a little bit more difficult. Now, I will say I did see a Savage video come out not too long ago that really surprised me uh, viewership-wise. So I think there's a definitely an audience for it, but I just don't think enough people are honing into it. Well, I'm looking at like the two biggest content curators I know within the Fortnite space, Cypher PK and Nick A30, and I'm just viewing their viewer metrics for their recent videos. Uh, they look to be kind of down on average. And like like we just mentioned, player base is at an all-time high. Consumer of Consumers of the Fortnite content is, is pretty much at a much lower point. And again, that's just visible through the numbers. Someone who would on average do two to three million of you Per video is kind of down closer to that 500k to 1 million per view views per video. That's a significant drop off when you start reaching that again the tippity top of the or the, the you know again the tip of the iceberg here. So yeah, there's there's a problem here. Uh, I don't know what can fix that though, right? Like we've kind of spoken about it. I mean, it's clear that again at the end of the day, Epic Games is still doing something absolutely correct. They are gaining more players and they're making a lot of money. With the return of iOS coming in, we're going to see another rise in influence and, and popularity amongst new creators that will start, you know, pursuing maybe iOS and mobile content again. So there's going to be some buzz there. Does that create some kind of, who knows, you know, like like fire effect that, that ignites content across the board? It could be. It could just be one little thing that really jumpstarts things. But as we all know, even Twitch is, of course, you know, numbers have not been anything exceptional. The game is kind of, I think, settled out, right? Like, really has began to settle. And and there's nothing wrong with the numbers. They're still great. But it's just, again, living in the shadow of what was this mega juggernaut that was Fortnite and the numbers that were there before. Bonsai Bro shared something really cool with me. He talked about how his transition out of Fortnite on Twitch as far as the category in streaming and making content has actually led him to 5x the following and the viewership and the growth in the recent times when he would play for three to four to six hours of fortnite they were gaining about 50 followers a day since transitioning out of fortnite and doing things just in other game categories they've not only doubled and tripled their viewership but they're gaining hundreds of followers for the same amount of time in other categories so it just kind of shows you that the saturation is there and again that's for the regular casual content creator so if if you push away the casuals from a content creator perspective then you're not going to have anyone who's going to want to watch you know the the game category as a whole and it's it's going to struggle it's going to be tough i would agree uh, we'll see how it turns out it seems like i had this conversation kind of with archie on on twitter uh about whether or not Fortnite even cares about viewership right because if the player base keeps going up like why does it matter if people are watching it and it seems like that's kind of been the focus is push for player base and not really care about what the viewership looks like. But that was from more like a competitive perspective is like, Hey, if we're having hundreds of thousands of people play in each of the cups and then why does it matter if people are watching people play the cups, right? It's better for Epic if people are playing their game versus watch watching it because you can't buy skins from somebody's stream. You can from when the item shop pops up. I don't know. It was just like a thought I had. And maybe the goals of Epic Games are different than any other developer. Maybe not different, but they are different in a way where player base is now their main focus for marketing rather than trying to generate viewership. Hey, you can't you can't be perfect in all the avenues, right? It's clear that uh, Fortnite and Epic, they are the kings of getting players to play that game and buy that skin, right? So they're they're winning, uh, like absolutely. But again, this 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 little niche market that we care about, that you know, again, we call it niche because there's you know hundreds of thousands of us versus the hundreds of millions that care about the other stuff. You know, we we still want to see this thing succeed and grow. And yeah, you mentioned an honorable mention to Jamper and Paper. We want to give a shout out to them. They are hosting their own boot camp. If you guys are looking for like more of that unique raw behind the scenes content about their journey, they've created some fun like vlog style in the life of Fortnite creator, I guess, right? The player behind the scene. Cool stuff. Just hitting the market, doing just life. And then, of course, playing in the games, uh, raging and everything that comes with it it's very raw but i think that's what you guys might love the honesty behind the product they're creating i think they're do they have like a dedicated cameraman or are they just filming each other like what's going on there sometimes it, i see someone like running around <laughs> with their phone like i don't even know like what's what's up 
It looks like some like a friend or a brother or a roommate is coming in and occasionally filming stuff. And otherwise, it's just like jamper and paper whipping out their phone and being like, yo, what's up, dude? Like, I got I got to ask you about this or like they're running to the store, which I don't mind. Like, it's more realistic than this, like, beautiful production. And it's free on YouTube, so you can't complain about the, the quality which I imagine will only continue to go up as they continue to do these things over the next few weeks. Pan, what are your, what are your takes on uh, this homegrown, real honest content coming out of Jamper and Paper? Um, I like it. I think they need to be a little careful at the details of what they're shooting, right? They are very young, so right, they might make mistakes that us veterans in, in understanding content might not make. But for the most part, their content is really solid. The concept is cool. Uh, especially once they have like a proof of concept, maybe make a little bit of money off it. They can invest a little more money into it then they'll make a little bit more money. And that will just be a ripple effect, hopefully in the scene. Because if, if more players stepped up in this particular way and were like, Hey, we're here, let's get together. Like in California in a West imagine. And they did this and they put a little bit of production value behind it. The content's going to explode. I agree. I think I think there's some fun stuff there in this. Again, this is a world to explore. And I really do hope that Jamper and Paper, uh, because they're leading by example, they, you know, encourage others. Maybe, what's the word? Motivate. <laughs> Motivate other people to go down this path. Uh, we just got a really cool post posted up by Lou90, This one of the COOs of Wave AUT, the esports org that does exist within Fortnite. He actually just posted this about 10 minutes ago and i'm going to take you guys through this as the last topic of the day that we talk about i think this is super interesting he's coming i guess from a very transparent angle of what it is like to be an org owner and what it takes to possibly monetize your brand so he says it seems like the fortnite community is waking up and realizing money doesn't grow on trees since there are currently some discussions about how orgs can make money let me give you an overview and i'm assuming this is just from his angle I'm going to list off the 11 things that he brought out um, and maybe we can pick apart some of the ones that are interesting and, and jump into details of what he said about those things because I haven't read it all. This literally just came out, but let's talk about the, uh, the 11 subheaders. Number one, investment money. Number two, sponsorships. Number three, brand deals. Four, merchandise. Five, products. Six, subscriptions. Seven, crypto, question mark. Eight, social media ads. Nine, prize pool. 10, media rights. 11, revenue shares. Where do we want to begin here? Do we just start with crypto? Because like, like all of a sudden now, it's like, hey man, by the way, this is just, <laughs> I don't know about that one, but I think, I think this is really cool that at least he's given some insight. Like, hey, I literally run a business. This is what we do to make money. These are the ways you can make money. Well, I mean, I'll comment on the investment money real quick because a lot of people may not realize, but these orgs that we see in the scene, most of them come from some level of investment, whether it's personal investment or it is an investment broker or, or an individual or a company investing in esports teams. We've seen it time and time again, like Shaq, for example, or Snoop Dogg investing in FaZe. Like all these, there are individuals that put money into these orgs in a hope that they're going to make money. But I think investors on top of us, obviously going into a recession or a bit of a recession, whatever you would call this time, investors are realizing that maybe their money is better spent elsewhere or better kept. So instead of investing, they are kind of at a, at a hold. And I think that's a very similar story to sponsorships as well, because these sponsors, while they want to throw money at things to make them money, they don't know what to throw it at. And they're in a cautious mode because in reality, we're in a tough time. And yeah. as far as the investment money goes, like that's not making money. That's someone buying a percentage of ownership. Like you said, they're trying to make money back. It's not just like, ah, oh, here's 10, 10 grand. Do whatever you want with it. They're like, no, here's 10 grand. I want a percentage of the business and I want my return over X amount of years. So it's, it's not free money by any chance. It's actually money with a lot of strings attached, which oftentimes will change the way an org operates. We've seen this with 100 Thieves. I've worked in startups before. As soon as you get bought out by venture capital, the way a company works changes because now there's somebody else pulling the strings. So like, that's just, I hate that he put that first. Like I understand what he means by like more where money comes from, not how to make money. But 
verbiage. I'm kind of like, arguing you know, over I like words. That you started it there because that is probably the most like thrown about, you know, I don't know, like what everyone thinks on a on a surface level is the way orgs survive. Like you got to get investment money, right? Which is not is not true at all. We've seen teams bootstrap from the ground up. Like TNA is a great example. Unfortunately, they did fall victim to line number seven crypto. But in the process <laughs> of working their way down, you know, TNA curse started with his own money. If I, if I remember his story correctly, like straight up kind of uh, began his thing. And also Team Extra Gaming. Remember that guy before they screwed up and lost all their investment money and everyone backed out? That was someone who took a huge risk on his own self and I believe took his school loans and doubled into esports and then built something special. Maybe he sold it. Maybe even though it crashed, he still made his payout. I don't know, but that's a funny story right there. Uh, so Lou starts with investment money. At the end, he says it's not sustainable and it can be healthy or un sorry, excuse me, unhealthy for the scene, which leads into sponsorships. I love what he talks about with the sponsorships and everything else because he kind of gives like a realistic, I think, understanding of how these line items in ways that you monetize affect your brand. For sponsorships in particular, he goes on to say, it can make up closer to 70%, but you are effectively at the whim of the general community, like the, the global uh, economy. Because when sponsors come in, the economy has to be doing well. And when things like COVID or, you know, a, a war in Ukraine against Russia, right? Like that completely collapsed Russian-based esports organizations and probably Ukrainian ones as well. Like there was, of course, all types of trickle effect from there. That affects your, your market. Um, he starts to turn into brand deals and, and recognizing that having the influencers on your team are one of the most important ways to draw in brands. But he goes on to highlight the fact that Orgs in particular are not agencies, so they don't quite operate maybe as efficiently as an agency can because that is their core business model. This kind of just tells me, though, if you know you're lacking in that area, most, most orgs are, you should be probably dual-purposing, investing in the agency side of things. You want to have that conversion. You don't want to leave that money on the table. It's, it's an interesting one because I feel like the only one who's doing it like we've seen in traditional sports or what I would probably call properly at this moment is Booga. Booga is like the only one who seems to have an agent that's constantly bringing him deals and shout out Gary V because it's his firm that's doing that. But Booga had the team has an agent, his agent gets some deals. Like that's what we see in traditional sports. You play for a team, you get paid by them. You have an agent, they work on getting you brand deals. You get paid both ways. Well, if you want to count like mega content creators, people like Dr. Lupo, State Farm, and, you know, some of the, the coffee sponsor brands that he's picked up along the way. And that was all when he was on, you know, Team Rogue. I believe he was part owner of the Rogue. And he's still an owner. Well. Yeah, probably still an owner, although I don't think he represents the brand as a quote unquote content creator. But yeah, behind the scenes definitely does some uh, some some super important stuff there. Nick A30 with Luminosity Gaming. You know, like Luminosity Gaming brought Nick A30. What was that? The Ar Under Armour sponsorship. I think he had some G Fuel sponsorships. He had a couple of things going for him too. So it's not like, and who knows if the org played the part in some of these, right, connecting these dots. But it's it's at least very much clear that when that stuff comes in, it looks good on the brand. It's important to cross off that as one of your means to monetize. He goes down into... Merchandise, a great way to merchandise, monetize your fan base is to do merch. You have to have a loyal fan base, a large enough fan base to have people buy in. And hopefully you add some additional value to your supporters, which can lead to a win-win for anyone or for everyone involved. That's a tough one. I think we all know merch is like very much hit or miss. It's art, it's, it's product, it's loyal fan base. It's getting people to buy in. And then he jumps into actual products. I think this is one of the most untapped markets here. When you become an influencer, even a large brand, building products in parallel. He gave a couple great examples. East Burger by Mr. Beast, Juvie by Nate Hill, Fanatic Gear, Vitavates, right? Fanatic kind of going out to the side and stuff like that. So there's some interesting stuff there. Uh, yeah, I mean, for sure. Uh, just a little quick clarification. Juvie is Nate Shot. And oh, sorry, teams. who did I say? Nate Hill. Nate Hill, I'm, I'm tripping. Nate shot. Nate Hill, is, Nate Hill is a supermodel now. If you guys don't know, he's actually doing a poker game with uh, some people in the scene. I said, I said Nate, Nate Hill. I'm thinking about a hundred things. I'm going down my mind. But yes, <laughs> Nate shot. Obviously, yeah, Nate shot created 100 Thieves. 
Mm-hmm. And 100 Thieves is an excellent example of someone who even Valkyrie like featured in Netflix Netflix Sonic film as one of the voice actors right behind the scenes. Like just just cool activations like that. That's building brand. That's building outside of the ecosystem. You know, yeah. I've been thinking about this, right? What we could do for a product as a caster or a talent, right? What you think? And it's build a bad well, I'm not going to finish that. <laughs> microphone, uh, something that is like something that is different and and meets the demand that we have, right? I've been in love with like shotgun microphones, for example, which is what I'm using right now. It's different than my normal microphone. And I think there's value in a shotgun microphone like this, but finding a way to make it more creator focused or make it more caster focused. There's so many things that we can do within the scene. We just have to look inward and see who we are and make a product about that. And I think it could absolutely be successful. Go XLR is just another audio interface that they dressed up to have. Give it some LEDs, give it some lights and make it easy to use. Creators will buy into it. It's sometimes it's just about the story, man. I'm a, if a caster created what they marketed as a caster mic from a caster, you know, perspective will do well. Trust. Right, regardless of how big or popular, it's just about the narrative. Sometimes that's all it takes, man. So, yep. Panda, what are you waiting for, bro? Get the, get the <laughs> design, the write it down. Listen, <laughs> listen, 2024, lots of stuff coming. No, I'm just kidding. I, I don't know. I, we'll see. But, we'll but see it's what cool, happens. right? Like, it makes sense. Oh, for sure. Um, that's what we talk about when we talk about products supporting esports. Uh, well, we're going to just go ahead and, and skim down. I'll leave the link to this thread inside the description of this podcast here i think it's a very cool read feel free to just jump in there maybe maybe it'll just give you a different perspective on on some of the stuff that goes in i think people just again underestimate uh what it takes to run at work but more importantly this is really cool because a lot of people in the esports space in particular are constantly pushing the narrative that you can't make it orgs are in negative they can't do it right it's, it's always going to be negative it's never going to make it but look at all these ways to generate money Right, I think it just proves to us that these orgs are not, you know, doing or performing the best that they can because it's very clear media agencies do very well for themselves, and each of these have their own like exceptional example of someone that is probably crushing that market. So you put it all together, you have yourself a winning formula. You could support the salaries of your players the same way any regular business can support the salary of the contractors, the people that work for them, right, to to make a living. Yeah, I think for me, the one thing that stands out, though, especially just within esports and Fortnite in particular, is the age of the audience. It's a much younger age compared to traditional sports for like the average viewer. So that means there's going to be an extra gatekeeper when it comes to buying merchandise, to buying a product that someone puts out, to paying anything towards a brand right because if i'm a kid i need my mom's credit card in order to buy the become legends arm sleeve and it's you know if i if i want to go buy a jets jersey i can do that right now i'm a 28 year old man i can do whatever i want so it's just like i think as the general esports fandom ages up into like young adulthood and older they'll have more expendable income and will choose to spend it probably more towards esports than they will towards other things that you know people like us and even older than us have decided to spend on so could it just be a matter of timing esports teams that are you know like we like to say throwing cash into the furnace have started their furnace burning too soon give it five more years and then right like it just have been just missed opportunity or not missed opportunity but early opportunity with some of these early adopters because what we see most of the time is people just can't survive the uh yeah the the burn rate right like how much yeah. you are investing versus what's coming back i agree with you though i think we've already seen within the fortnite space in particular hey a lot of these pros started at the age of 13 like who, who just tweeted they turned 18 vadil and then <laughs> yeah. like vadil literally just started you know young man he's been competing since he was probably literally 14 15 years old so this community is growing up and they will slowly reach this young adult early adulthood maybe right now more than ever is the time to turn it up yeah i think it's hard though like you have to just continue to burn money in order to stick around long enough to do that and i mean we've just seen enough orgs say we can't stick around long enough there will be winners right at the end of this there's going to be people that win it's just a matter of you know, how much money did you spend on the way and how much are you in debt in order to get to the point that you want to be at? 
Yeah, that's the real question, is who will be able to survive this, and how will they have survived? I think, like we talk about all the time, content is king when it comes to these organizations, and even these pro players and creators. They need to understand the value of content, because realistically, you look at the sidemen, for example. The sidemen have like five channels that operate, four of which operate on almost daily uploads or daily uploads, and then one operates on a once a week upload. They have a production team. They have people making ideas. They create their own ideas. There's a collective that works together towards a specific goal, right? And they're multi-million dollars. So if it's done right, if you mimic similar structure to what the sidemen do and what other groups have done, but groups only groups that have found success, because mind you, there are groups that have come together and they haven't found success, but you model after some of the some things that the do like the sidemen do. You can create a very, very lucrative uh, esports organization, but you have to remember you can't rely on the pro player. And, and I just want to give a huge, just personal shout out to Wave AUT, Wave Esports. I'm just browsing through their Twitter, and this this team is practicing what they preach. I see already a number of different types of merchandise pickups that you can you know, pick up yourself, whether it's a jersey, a t-shirt design, a necklace, right? Different things speak to different folks. And they have the Wave Booster, which is like, you know, their take on an energy drink, probably just another private label, you know, packaged up. It could be the same ingredients that's in, I don't know, Glitch Energy, Ghost Energy, G Fuel, all the same stuff. It could all come from the same spot. But hey, they're practicing what they preach. There's a lot of content covering their, uh, you know, their influencers and stuff. Yeah, it's mostly in photo format, but Content is content. This is what the people want. They want to see you out there, but more importantly, they want to be heard. They want to be also leveraged on social. So this is really cool, man. That's a wave AUT, man. They could be the next one up to possibly fill in that gap that BL left behind. If there's anyone, let's just throw a fun dart here before we, we sign off on the day. So fun question. If there is anyone that can fill in the tremendous shoes that Becoming Legend has left behind, is it going to be Wave AUT? Is it going to be Guild Esports? Is it going to be, who is it going to be? Is there anyone that could even do that? Can D Team Dignitas step up to the, to the plate? Do we even have anyone? Panda, what do you think? Tundra. And I have reason yeah. to believe okay. that they have the means to do it as well. Remember, they just bagged out. I believe it was a Dota tournament last year. And so they got a big percentage of that to support the org. And we immediately saw them reinvesting in quality content and stuff. So... Tundra has potential. And so with their signings like Vino, Pink, and Archie, they're probably one of the few that I could see challenging for the top spot. And they're I don't see it happening. <laughs> I don't see anyone doing anything, if I'm being honest. Like Wave will probably do they kind of regularly do some boot camps, but it's not to the same level that Become Legends has put the effort on, or at least not recently. They definitely used to have some bangers. I think they might have been the first. So I don't want to disrespect them, but I just don't see anyone picking this up unless it's the players themselves doing this. Like, unless they come together and like, yo, let's all go to this place and rent out like this gaming area and film some content. I just don't see an org doing it. I like I like what I'm seeing on Tundra's timeline. Yesterday they released the DreamHack Sweden vlog, but what that tells me is why did it take you three months to turn around <laughs> one DreamHack Sweden vlog, whereas like Reno would film it, sit down, edit himself, drop it as soon as possible. Um, gotta have that snappy turnaround, man. This is that's missed opportunity. So yeah, maybe maybe the infrastructure and the the hunger is not quite there. But they are doing way more than a lot that we've seen. And their memes are pretty hilarious. If you look at them, take us some shots at BL. They tagged Reno five hours ago. Say, Reno reading the FNCS announcement. And then it's, is that Kodak Black? Kodak Black crying with one of his homies here. Pretty much just some meme trolls. So got some good interaction. Fun stuff, man. This is it's a very exciting episode today. Threw a couple hot topics on you guys on the fly here as things started to come in. We hope you all are absolutely excited and looking forward to the FN competitive season, which is kicking off in just a couple weeks. It's going to be some exciting stuff. With that, though, let's go ahead and send it on over to Panda to let you guys know where you can find him throughout the week. You already know Twitter.com slash LifeWPanda. And also subscribe to YouTube.com slash PandaBoxing. 
Ooh. Yes, that's right. Okay. Panda making boxing content uh, covering the Misfits fight here this week. So first video going out today, probably as this episode goes out the 11th of January. And I'm going to be doing daily videos throughout the next week and a half. Panda boxes his wife live on Twitch. <laughs> okay, hold on. Wait. Buy your tickets uh, here at the podcast, guys. SVG, let the, let the fans know where they can find you, bro. Somebody's gone, Twitter, YouTube. Thank you guys for any support you throw me. Always appreciate it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And as always, guys, send all your complaints to me at the Fortnite Podcast at gmail.com. It's been your boy, Monster D Face, here bringing you guys another episode this week. Hope y'all are just having a blessed one, man. Sit back and enjoy this one. And we'll catch you guys next time. So until next time, don't forget to dance out those kills and boast in those victory else. Peace, y'all.